0: The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney+. Plus, Full of stories and love for all. So hey, uh, I'm Sam, I'm one of the doctors at 516 Street in London.
1: And for people who might not have heard of 516 Street before, it's such an institution. But what is it and why is it so important?
0: Um, so, Fifty Sixteen Street is a um, HIV and sexual health clinic. Um, we're based in Soho, um, so in the heart of the gay culture, the LGBTQ culture here in um, in London. Um, and um, and yeah, and uh, as you alluded to, um, we've got quite a strong reputation within the community. Um, we try to, uh, in at every opportunity, increase access for LGBTQ plus people to access our services. Have been historically kind of been quite difficult for them to access any health services, uh, never mind just HIV and sexual health care. And um, we're part of the Chelsea and Westminster Trust, which is a large trust here in, uh, in London. Um, and I think to date we are one of, if not the largest, uh, HIV and sexual health clinic in Europe.
1: So it makes sense that we talk about HIV and sexual health. Um, let's first talk about monkeypox, though, because I know that that's a thing that is worrying lots of people and there's lots of misinformation about it online. What is monkeypox, how is it spread and why is it affecting the gay community so much?
0: Yeah, so uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So monkeypox kind of came onto the scene around April this year um, when we started to see some cases. It was actually first found in the 1950s, um, but only in monkeys, which is why it's got its name. Um, and then the first reported cases in humans were in, the, in 1970. Um, and it's not really been seen. It's, it's endemic in certain African regions. Um, and there are two main strains, the West African and the Central African strain, where many seeing the, the West African strain here. Um it's essentially spread through um, mainly skin-to-skin contact, but also, say, for example, if you were to touch a saw um, and then touch, say, a table or a pen, and then, you know, somebody quite soon after that touched that table or that pen. That's what we call a foam spread, so it can be spread like that as well. And there, it can also be um, spread through large respiratory droplets as well. There's minimal evidence to say that it's passed on through kind of vaginal secretions, et cetera. Um, but there has been some reported cases of vertical transmission. So that's mother to baby, um, and resulting in, uh, in, maternal, uh, in fetal death, sorry. Um, but they're very, very small cases. Um, and we've not really seen anything like that in the UK so far. Um, but they have been reported in other countries. Um, so, like you said, it's mainly being seen in um, at the moment in, in men having sex with men. Um the reason for that is still unclear. We're still getting a lot of epidemiological data. Um, and um, what we think is that the vi- the virus was in the right place at the right time um and it's just kind of been spread within that community um uh, mainly through sexual contact, but we've been seen it pretty much almost exclusively through sexual contact, kind of 95 percent plus.
1: So one of the things that um, I'm seeing a lot of online is that this is an, an issue that is affecting men who are having sex with men. And there's a, a bit of confusion there because it sort of implies that monkeypox is being passed on through sexual contact. It's, if I'm understanding you right, it's not necessarily having sex that is the thing that passes monkeypox on. It's the fact that when you're having sex, you're probably touching the skin in a more general way.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So it's not a sexually transmitted illness in the same way that, that we talk about media gonorrhea syphilis, but it's a sexually transmissible illness. So for example, it can be passed on through the act of sex because of the skin to skin contact. But equally, if you're rolling around in bed, not having sex with somebody who is covered in monkeypox, then you, you can get it in that way as well. And you wouldn't probably cast that as a sexual contact, but it's the skin to skin contact, which normally is present during sex.
1: And because of what we're seeing here in the UK and the communities who are affected, there's a vaccine and it's being rolled out in the same way that the COVID vaccine was to the people who are most vulnerable, the most at risk at the moment. And um, so what makes somebody eligible for that vaccine and how would they be able to access it?
0: Yeah, so um, at the moment it's being rolled out mainly through sexual health clinics. And so if you do think that you might be eligible, then do contact your local sexual health clinic and they can assess your Eligibility. Um, We're mainly looking at people um, who um, have kind of multiple sexual partners or may have had an an STI in the past few months, um, just because. You know, logistically, um, sorry, um, logistically, but um, that we would class them as kind of being a higher risk of a of a condition that's passed on through skin-to-skin contact if they're having sex. Um, so yeah, so if you think it might be at risk, like you think that you might be eligible, please do not hesitate to contact your local sexual health clinic and they can assess your eligibility there. There is a little bit of a wait at the moment. We don't have a huge supply, and um, so it's actually the smallpox vaccine that we're giving, which gives good coverage for monkeypox as well. But we don't have a huge supply at the moment because smallpox isn't really a thing in the UK. Um, and um, and so as our supply increases, then we we'll, should be able to try and expand the number of people um, that we can get into the vaccine.
1: That is great and really good to know. So if anybody thinks that they might be eligible, it's always worth checking out whether or not they are. And I'm sure there are lots of places at like the NHS website that you can go to to, to actually check your eligibility criteria as well. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to actual sexually transmitted diseases, sexually transmitted illnesses, because that's another thing that does affect the LGBTQIA community, as well as the wider community. And I think it's always important to have conversations about how we can have safer sex. So let's talk a little bit about that. How are you uh, seeing the community response to, you know, having safer sex?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I think the you know, safer sex is such a an umbrella term, isn't it? And I think safer sex for one person isn't necessarily safer sex for another person. So whenever I'm seeing a patient, I often talk to them about sex being their contract. Okay. You make the terms of what you think is safe sex and what you want your sex to look like um remember sex is always always should be fun it's not being funny. you need to question why it's not being fun okay so um if you write down on a list you know this is what my ideal sexual experience would be okay and that should include how you're keeping yourself safe so if that's using a condom if that's not having penetrative sex if that's not using a condom, but being on something like PrEPS so or pre-exposure prophylaxis to protect you from HIV acquisition, um, then that is what your, your criteria is. And you need to make sure that when you're communicating that with a partner that you're both on board. And any deviation from that contract needs to be discussed. And, you know, we then get into the realms of kind of consent, um, consent etc. cetera. Um, safer sex, you know, like I said, is a, is a very broad term. Um, and particularly if you come somewhere like Dean Street we will always say to you look we are here to give you the information about xyz puts you at risk of this Um, and you then need to do with that what you want you I I don't want to tell you you must be using a condom you must not be having sex and things like that because it won't help anybody all that will cause is disengagement from services so as long as you know the risks and um, of type of sex that you're having um, and you're happy with that risk and you know the ways to reduce your risk, then fine, you know, crack on basically. Um, But we're not here to kind of tell people you should be doing this, you should not be doing this. We're here to give people information and allow them to make an informed decision themselves about their sexual health.
1: So there were multiple ways to um, have safer sex clearly, as you've just described. Can you just talk to me like I'm a complete novice? And talk me through the different methods of having safer sex and what those methods sort of protect you from or help prevent, uh, like starting with condoms, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. So condoms, yeah. So condoms are a barrier contraception, contraception. So essentially it protects you um, by forming a physical barrier between genitals, essentially. Um, So it will protect you from most STIs, so chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV, hepatitis, okay, um, and it also protects for those that are able to get pregnant, so it protects from a pregnancy a contraception as well, okay. Um, now, in terms of things that it might not protect you from, there are certain sexually transmitted infections when it's skin-to-skin contact with something such as a herpes sore or a genital war. And in that case, you may still be at risk of um, of transmitting that sexually transmitted infection. So it doesn't protect you from everything, but it gives you a pretty good um, protection against most STIs. If you don't want to use condoms, there's other ways that you can protect yourself. Um, So particularly in men having sex with men, but also in other groups as well, we talk about PrEP. Um, So PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis and what that is, it's a medication that is either taken daily or around the time of having sex and when taken properly protects you from acquiring HIV. It's essentially an antiviral treatment that's been used for a long, long time to treat HIV, but in this case it's used to prevent it um and if you think that you know kind of prep is for you or you think you might be eligible for prep you want to know a little bit more about it nhs website our website over here at 16th street or just contact your local sexual health clinic um and find out you know a bit more are you eligible and it's also got to be a kind of a risk versus um benefits kind of thing you know do the benefits outweigh the risks etc so we'd assess you we think, and then we'd um, let you know if you, you think you're you're a good candidate for prep
1: And of course, I think with um, just being sexually active, whatever community you're part of, whatever risks you've you've got, the important thing is to make sure you're being regularly tested, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So if you're having kind of multiple sexual partners, we'd normally recommend testing around kind of every three to four months, Um, and there's a reason for that, which I'll go into in a second. I mean, if you're in a monogamous relationship and it's completely closed, then you know your sexual risk is quite low, but what I would normally say is making sure that you test at the start of that relationship, um, and if that relationship was to end, then testing at the end, because then kind of you're going out there, you might have new sexual partners. You but you know you're going out there knowing what your current sexual health looks like. So in terms of testing every three to four months, um, there's a number of reasons for that, and it mainly comes around window periods. So what a window period is is it's the point from which you contract a, a, an STI or any infection. And it's the time between then and when the test can accurately either pick, it, pick up on it or also that you don't have it. Okay, so for example, chlamydia and gonorrhea. Say you were to contract chlamydia or gonorrhea now, today. We could test you every single day for two weeks and it might be negative, 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 negative. But we can't see conclusively that you don't have chlamydia or gonorrhea or pretty good indication that you don't have chlamydia or gonorrhea until that 14-day marks. So it's a two-week window period. Now, that gets a bit larger as you go through the different um, sexually transmitted infections. So for HIV, it's up to six weeks. Usually it can be picked up around four weeks with the, um, the type of tests we use, but we say up to six weeks. And syphilis can be up to three months. And that's where that kind of three to four months comes in, because you're going to have slight overlapping of these window periods um, with your sexual partners. So if you're testing every three to four months, then at least you're kind of, picking up on things that might not have any symptoms, which any STI can have. Um, And you're picking up on those um, infections that are quite a large window period as well. Ways of accessing testing. So you can contact your local sexual health clinic. Some GPs have kind of become a bit more savvy and now offering sexual health testing within their um, their practices, which is absolutely amazing. Um, And also home testing kits as well so um, there's a number of home testing kit providers um around the uk as if you in london um, if you're outside of london then just contact your local health authority and they can maybe direct you to um, any home testing kits um, and that's just a really good way of increasing um accessibility to sexual health testing
1: i think it can be you know for, for people who aren't feeling very confident to have the conversations about sexual health or getting tested home testing kits can be a really great way of being able to do that discreetly I've had home testing kits delivered to my house before and it's in completely discreet packaging nobody would know what it is from the outside your postman's not going to look at you funny the next day it's like a very good way of being able to stay safe and also you know manage to alleviate any awkwardness because we are British we like to feel awkward about things not that we should but if there is any uncomfortable sort of feeling within you to talk about um safer sex or to talk about uh, getting tested then that's a really great way to do it another thing that I found is also sort of going down with friends to the clinic and getting tested together build a bit of camaraderie there are lots of different ways to do it if you're feeling nervous about it and it's it's one of those things I guess that um as you say isn't going to necessarily pick it up immediately. So you might have to get tested more than once. And is there a a point at which you would sort of say, if someone is uh, getting tested every three months, do you think that would probably be an appropriate amount? Or what? I mean, doctors, you know, you know, the answers. Mm -hmm.
0: So, yeah, so it depends on kind of how much sex you're having, really. Um, but, um, you know, every, every three to four months, if you're having quite a few sexual partners, then I would say it's a pretty good way of keeping a good track on your sexual health. You know, it's a good way of checking in, making sure that you're not fall, you know, falling under any of the window periods as well. Um, we quite often get patients come in and they're saying, yeah, but I tested last month and I was absolutely fine. How can I now have this? And it's just because there's a lack of education um, around these window periods. Should, you know, if we could target people you know earlier in school and things like that and to teach them about these things and there's probably a bit better in sexual health education out there but yeah so i say every three to four months if you having a few different sexual partners particularly having unprotected sex is a pretty good way of keeping on top of your sexual health
1: and i guess this is the scary bit because say you do get a result saying that you are positive for one of these sexually transmitted infections that can be really daunting and really scary for lots of people so we'll come on to talking specifically about HIV, but with uh, things like gonorrhea, chlamydia and sort of the more quote-unquote common uh, sexually transmitted infections, how would those um, be treated? Can they all be treated?
0: Yeah, so the vast majority of infections that come through our clinic can be treated and can be treated actually quite easily. Um, So chlamydia and gonorrhea are two most common um, STIs, so chlamydia is often treated with um, a week of tablets, um, and, um, and gonorrhea is normally given, you're given a injection, so an injection in the bum, it's mixed with a bit of local anaesthetic, usually just to help with the pain, it might be a little bit sore for a few days, but then you'll be fine. Um, if There's the certain changes to treatment based on if people have allergies, etc., but that can all be discussed when they come in. Um, another common STI that people don't think of is syphilis. Syphilis is a really strange one. People often remember it from the history books of, you know, King going mad from syphilis. That's not the syphilis that we see now. Syphilis is picked up on quite quickly. It often has no symptoms, but it can also have quite strange symptoms as well. So in medicine, we often refer to syphilis as the great pretender or the great deceiver because it can have some quite strange symptoms. Um, and it's n- normally, so the majority of patients that I see is normally just picked up on a routine screen. We find that they've got syphilis on a blood test. We give them the treatment and they get on with their lives, basically. Um, But it can cause things such as ulceration of the genitals. It can cause a rash over the body as well. It can cause you to feel quite tired or feel a bit under the weather along with this rash. If You think that you've come into contact with syphilis or you think you're displaying any of the symptoms and please do contact us. I always say to every single one of my patients, I would rather you call and ask the stupidest question in the world and have me reassure you than you sit at home anxious and actually be sitting on an untreated STI it's super easy for us to treat it. Most STIs, I'd rather you come in and just, you know, let us deal with that for you.
1: That is probably the most incredible advice. I think <laughs> we did say we'd park HIV because HIV is something that has affected our community in the past. It's devastated our community and it's still really scary for so many people. And HIV, you know, we could close our eyes and pretend it doesn't still exist, but it does, that's the reality. And so... Medicine's come such a long way since the 80s, and people now with HIV live full, happy lives. Let's just talk a little bit more specifically about HIV. We've talked slightly about PrEP. So just to recap on what yeah. PrEP is, um, I mean, you should do that because you're the expert. Yeah, so
0: just to recap on what PrEP is, so PrEP is um, is a medication that prevents HIV acquisition so from catching hiv essentially um and some people might be more familiar with pep as opposed to prep it gets very confusing so pep is a medication it's a course that's given over 28 days and that's when you come in to see as you say i think i've been at risk of hiv whether that's a known in a contact or just a risky contact um, and it's a course of medication over 28 days, but it has to be started within 72 hours of the risk. So if you think that you're at risk of HIV acquisition, please contact us as soon as possible, because the sooner we get that medication into you, the better. And that prevents you from acquiring HIV after, the, and after there's actually been a risk. PrEP, on the other hand, stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, as opposed to post-exposure prophylaxis. So that's taken... Every day, or just around the time of having sex, what we call intermittent or event based dosing. Um, and that's to um, prevent you from acquiring HIV um, before the act. So it kind of gives you that constant level of protection, if you say But it needs to be taken properly. And we are seeing cases of people coming in who have acquired HIV because they've not been taking their proper. Prop- prep- um, and so if you're ever confused about the way that you should be taking PrEP, either check out our website, check out the NHS website, or just call us and just find out. I'd rather, again, ask whatever you do call and ask a silly question and be taking your PrEP properly than me see you in three months and have to give an HIV diagnosis.
1: I mean, I've said it before, but 5016 Street is such an institution, partly because of how well it serves this community that we are part of. And- now for people who have HIV and are living with HIV there there is so much treatment now that allows them to live full and happy lives but one thing that I think it's really important we touch on is something that I see quite a lot in LGBTQ plus spaces and it's the phrase U equals U yeah
0: yeah so U equals U stands for um undetectable equals untransmittable. so it essentially means that if you have an undetectable viral load if you have been taking your medication and we have suppressed the virus to the point of it being undetectable you cannot then transmit hiv to a sexual partner no matter what the sexual act and this has been you know people talk a lot around prep and how that's been the thing that's really driven you know a reduction in hiv transmission and it has it has contributed but people often forget u equals u and how incredible um, the treatments are we can now provide patients, you know, whereas before it was a few handful of treatments, which have quite nasty side effects. We now have an entire brochure of treatments that we can pinpoint the best treatment. And it's, it's based on, you know, the patient themselves um, any comorbidities so any the health problems they might have um, and certain aspects of their HIV infection as well. And we can come up with the best kind of treatment strategy for them. Um, and what that allows then is for them to have a sex life that they're not concerned about um, transmitting HIV to partners. We can say to them, there is no chance that you can transmit your HIV to your partner if you have an undetectable viral load, which is an incredible thing to say to patients.
1: That is really amazing because we've come light years from where we were in the 80s. And I guess with U equals U and with undetectable being untraceable, it means that um as a person who might be worried that they have had an exposure to HIV and they weren't aware of what pep is and they didn't take any medication there's still you know a really good chance that you can live a long healthy life so in order to be able to access these drugs is it again coming to dean street or another sexual health clinic getting tested working out what the situation is for you and getting on the right treatment plan
0: exactly exactly so you know it, the earlier you're diagnosed with hiv the sooner we can get you on treatment and the sooner we can get you to being well essentially and to get you to being untransmittable as well okay um but it's also just you know an and. An, you know we want you to be well in yourself as well we want to get you on treatment so that you don't have any of the adverse health um problems that you experience with an untreated hiv infection which you know quite often now when we see you know documentaries etc or tv shows um about hiv and um, and the aids crisis and you see people extremely sick which was often the case and i still work with some nurses and doctors who were working during that time and it sounds horrific um if you were to make a documentary today about somebody living with HIV, it would probably be the most boring thing you've ever watched in your entire life because it's essentially somebody taking a course of medication daily, either a, usually a single pill every day, and they're very well. They see a doctor every six to twelve months, and they actually and they just live their life normally. It's not what it once was. It's um, but it still does unfortunately have a slight stigma around it. Well,
1: it's amazing that you've been able to alleviate some of our worries and let us know how the best ways to get treated and to have safer sex are i do have one final question for you and um you're probably not going to like my attitude towards this because i do think it's a bit of a myth dental dams dental dams um i don't actually i
0: couldn't even tell you where to find a dental dam leave, <laughs> but it's Perception. it's a barrier construction like anything else one of my colleagues said yeah you can just put open a condom and it just works the same as a dental dam if you want to use a dental dam if that's your sexual um requirements if that's on that and um, contracts that I talked about, then you prep on with the dental tamp.
1: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough.
0: The number one take-home message or the number one thing that I say to all of my patients when it comes to your sexual health is don't put your health in other people's hands, okay? If you know that you're testing regularly, if you know that you're on PrEP, it is indicated, if you know that you're using condoms because you want to, you know that you're protecting yourself, okay? Just because somebody says, I tested last week and take my PrEP and this, that and the other, does not necessarily mean that's always the case. Most people are good people and they're telling the truth, but if you know that you're looking after your own health, you're all good to go, okay? So don't put your health in other people's hands, and I think that's my best bit of advice as a sexual health doctor.
1: Amazing. Valuable advice, as always. Thank you so much, Dr. Sam.
0: The Virgin Radio Pridecast. Proudly supported by Disney+. Plus, Celebrating every colour of the rainbow.